now for about three weeks on diving deeper. And the challenge of this series is to cause us to evaluate where we are spiritually and to move into the depths of the graces of God. I don't care where you may think that you are. I'm convinced no matter where you are, there are greater graces in the Lord Jesus Christ than more than likely you're experiencing now. It's interesting how no matter how many decades we live out this life and seek to follow Christ, there are always greater depths of the graces of God that are awaiting for us to receive. We began this series by talking to, uh, uh, by studying together the passage in Corinthians where the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, challenged the church at Corinth that they had remained where they were. They had stagnated. They had become stale in their faith. They had ceased to move beyond where they were as baby infant Christians into the depths of the graces of God. And because of that, there were things that God wanted to share through his penmanship and through his teaching, and he could not do that because they were not able to receive it. And so we talked about the importance of knowing and identifying exactly where we are spiritually. Are we enjoying the depths of the graces of God? And if not, then why not? Have we settled for the carnal life? And last Sunday, we then dealt with that important scripture where we were challenged by the, the verses that, that we were to reach beyond that. And as we were to reach beyond that, we were to understand that getting from where we are to where Christ wants us to be, it's going to become costly. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require surrender. It's going to require more of us than we are presently giving to him. And that many people need to consider before they make the decision that I want to go deeper into the graces of God, need to count the cost. We saw how the builder uh, who began a building but didn't count the cost and stopped in the midst of that building, didn't complete the tower, how foolish that would have been. The king who wanted and wished to go into battle against an opposing army to conquer more territory needed to count the cost before he went into the battle because there are and there will be costs, there will be sacrifices when we completely surrender ourselves to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ and move beyond from where we are into the depths of his graces. Today I want us to sort of take a look at a passage that is very familiar, I'm convinced, to all of us. It's a passage where Simon Peter steps out of the boat and he proceeds to walk on water. And the challenge is to move beyond the familiar. The challenge is to get outside of our comfort zone. The challenge is for us to step out of the boat and to walk on water. And one of the main reasons why it's difficult for us to step out of the boat and to walk on water is because most of us allow fear to paralyze us and it causes stagnation to develop. What is it that makes you afraid? about moving from the comfort zone that you presently are in your relationship with Christ to go into the depths or a deeper level of his graces? What is it? Not sure what your fear is, but more than likely there are numerous phobias in this room. Some of us have similar phobias and fears than the, of those in the room, but more than likely we are afraid of the uncharted territory. We are afraid of the unfamiliar. We are afraid of losing the comfort level that we have grown accustomed to because we know moving from here is going to take us into a deeper level, to a greater sacrifice, to a greater height, and we're not quite sure what that's going to cost us. We're not quite sure where that's going to take us. And so we allow fear then to paralyze our movement in those graces that God intends us intends for us to have in Christ. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So how do I move beyond the familiar? First of all, as we take a look at our study, it's important that we start right. 
you can't end right unless you start right. And we're going to start in our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. We're going to see how the disciples started right, how Simon Peter also started right. Before he could step out of the boat and walk of water, he had to start right. Where do we start and how do we start right? We'll take a look at the passage and beginning with verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Now notice here the intensity of the situation. As we read it on the surface, we may not understand the intensity of this situation, but this is a very intense moment in the life of Jesus and the ministry of Christ in dealing with his disciples and the crowd that was relentless in following him everywhere he went. We understand the passage by looking at several passages prior to this in, in chapter 14 of the book, the gospel according to Matthew, where we see that word was received to Jesus that, uh, that John the Baptist had died. We see then also that Jesus then uh, performs this incredible, amazing miracle where he takes a few small loaves and a few fish and he blesses them and he feeds 5,000 men, more than likely 20 to 30 total women and children, people who were hungry were, were fed until they were full. And following that incredible, miraculous thing where Jesus provided for the sustenance and the support of those who were hungry, there was a mob beginning to form and they concluded amongst themselves that we have seen the power of Christ manifested through these incredible miracles that he has performed. We have now seen the provisions of God through this Messiah, we believe, who is Jesus. We want him now to seize the throne by force, to remove Herod, to become our king, and then with him as our king, with God on our side, we can expel Rome from the occupation that we now know. That was their intent. And Jesus knows their intent. He knows what they're thinking. You know, I don't know about you, but that's a little frightening for me. The fact that he knows our intentions. He knows our thoughts. There's nothing that we can hide from him. And he knows the intentions of the crowd, of the mob that is wanting to, by force, make him become the king. And he knows that it's not time. There will be a time when he will return and he will occupy the throne in Jerusalem and become the king of kings and the lord of lords and reign for a thousand years. He's aware of that, but it's not the moment. This is not the time. It will come someday, but this is not it. And so he makes the intentional, deliberate decision that burst up the crowd. He turns to his disciples and he commands them to leave. Guys, I want you to get in the boat and I want you to go ahead of me to a destination that I'm about to tell you. I want you to get in the boat and I want you to leave. I'll meet you there. Now, it's interesting that we're not told if he told the disciples how he would meet them there, but he simply says, I will meet you there. Just a little side note here, an application. You need to be where he's told you he's going to meet you. If you're somewhere else, uh, you've forfeited the blessings uh, that he has for you. And uh, we see here that the disciples put up a little bit of, a little bit of, eh, not sure that's the best thing to do, Jesus. Now, before we get a little bit critical of the guys, how many times has that happened to us? When we've understood Jesus issuing to us a command and uh, we've given him reasons or a a rationale or some sort of debate as to 
why that's not the best time or the best place or the best course of action. And there's a discussion among Jesus and the disciples. It's, it's not a real rebellion, but it's a, Jesus, are you sure that's the best thing? Have you ever done that with him? And it says there that he made them get into the boat. Jesus, as Lord, exercises his authority and makes them get into the boat. And they get into the boat and they leave. And then notice what happens to the crowd. He turns to the crowd and he dismisses them. I looked at that and I thought, you know, it's interesting that maybe part of the debate the disciples gave Jesus in regard to why they shouldn't be leaving him there by himself with this mob of people who want to make him king is that maybe they thought they could protect him. But Jesus sends them on ahead because Jesus knows well aware of the fact that he can handle the mob without them. And it kind of helped me realize that there are some things that God doesn't need us for. Think about that. We are his vessels, his instruments, his servants, and, and God operates through us and in us to fulfill and accomplish his will. But there are some things that Christ can handle on his own. He turns to his disciples and I could do this by myself, guys. You go on ahead, I'll meet you there. And he dismisses the crowd. And if you look at the text, then you see Jesus dismissing the crowd, going to do what? To intercede, to pray. He goes to pray. Now, the place that he goes to pray for and to pray in is, is on the mountain. He goes to pray on the mountain. I just came a couple of weeks ago from North Carolina, and, and uh, in the beautiful uh, smoky mountains that are there, there's something about being high and elevated up when you pray. Uh, it just gives you an interesting and a different perspective. Now, you can pray in the valleys, and God is no more present on the mountaintops than he is in the valleys. He's everywhere. But it just does something for us. And Jesus rises to the place of this mountaintop, and, and he rises there by himself, alone, apart from the crowd that has been following him incessantly by himself for the purpose of communing with God. And it's interesting that the period is described when evening came. We don't know exactly how long Christ was on the mountaintop communicating and communing with the Father, but we know that he was there for more than just a few moments. The prayer that he prays is more than just a prayer that we would pray before we have a meal. It may be even longer than the prayer that you may have had this morning when you got up and had a devotional time with God. I believe Jesus more than likely prayed up on this mountaintop, communing with the Father as he normally did, which was his custom, it was his habit, for more than just a few moments. For more than even just a few minutes, it might have been a few hours. He and the Father were up there, and he was interceding not only for himself, because he knew that the cross was close at hand, but he also knew that the disciples were out now in a storm and they were in need of him. And so he intercedes for himself and I think for his disciples and for the crowd of the mob that wished to make him king. And so he intercedes. And I ask you, if you're about to start on this journey of moving from where you are to where Christ wants you to be, how, how important is prayer? And I'm convinced that prayer is the least thing uh, that we do. I mean, most of us don't see prayer as really an activity in which we're actually doing something. But unless we develop the habit and the discipline that Jesus had on a daily, regular basis of spending more than just a few minutes with our head bowed at a table or maybe our head bowed over a scripture and a, a quick devotion in the morning, unless we are people who are intercessors, who are interceding for not just minutes, maybe for hours, 
Can we move from where we are spiritually to where he wants us to be spiritually? It takes intercession. And intercession not only helps us start right, but it keeps us right. But as we intercede, we must be very careful like the disciples to be in the center of the will of God because if we are as individuals and as a church not in the center of the will of God, we will never start off right and we will never end right. We must be very clear in understanding what it is that he's communicating into our lives and where it is that he is leading us. Because once we understand where he wants us to go and what he wants us to be individually and corporately, and then we step out in faith and we follow that direction, then we start off right. You can't start off disobedient. You can't start off on your own. You can't start off with with a premonition. It requires a listening ear to hear and understand and to comprehend exactly what it is that he's commanding and where he is leading. Simon Peter, before he stepped out of that boat, he heard Jesus say, come. And the disciples here also understand very clearly what their instructions are. And they are complying to those instructions and they're following the command of their Lord. And they're out on the boat as he commanded them to go. Now notice then, not only should we start right, but we should stand up. And where we stand is we stand on faith. If you stand anywhere else other than faith, you're standing in the wrong place. Notice what the scriptures say in verse 24. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waters, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they all said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now notice the restlessness of the sea. The sea was very restless. They're out in the middle of the sea, and they're trying to arrive at their destination. And unaware of of what was about to transpire, they get into the boat as they are commanded to, and they look at the skies and notice that the skies are clear, and they set sail. And it's only five miles from one side to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's not very far. And they get into their vessel, and they proceed to go to the destination that Jesus told them he would meet them. And so as they're in the process of seeking to get there, all of a sudden, the waves begin to beat up against the the vessel. Why? Because of the winds. And these guys were expert fishermen. They had been on this sea, many of them, many times. They knew the danger of these winds unexpectedly coming over those hills and down into the valley where the sea was and the storms that often took many sailors and many fishermen's lives. Now in Matthew chapter 8, they'd already been in one of these storms and Jesus was asleep down at the bottom, if you remember. And all of a sudden, some, somebody, hey, Jesus is down there. He's asleep. Let's go wake him up. And they do. And he comes up, and he hushes the winds, and he calms the waves. It's already happened already by this time. And so the disciples are familiar with the power of Christ, but Christ is not present with them at this particular time. They're by themselves. They're on their own. They're in the middle of the, of the will of God for their lives, and trouble comes. What does that tell you and me? It says that you can be in the center of the will of God for your life and trouble is still going to come. Hardship is still going to be there. Trials are still going to take place. Tests are still going to come your way. You you can't be in the center of the will of God for your life and and everything just be hunky-dory. You know, I've heard people say, you know, you need to be in the center of the will of God for your life and in the center of the will of God for your life, then everything's going to be great. 
That's not reality. The disciples are in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Why? At the command of Christ. And Christ knew in advance before he sent them out there that there would become a storm. And so they're, they're there and they're burdened by, by the, their condition. They are rowing as hard as they can and the wind is beating against them and they're trying to arrive in their destination, but the wind is, is, is preventing them from even moving forward. And they've been stagnant where they are for quite some time. Why? Because of the winds that are there forcing them not to be able to move toward their destination. It would have been easier probably for them to set their sails and go in the direction of the wind, but that's not the direction that God told them to go. And by this time, they're tired, they're exhausted mentally, physically, and emotionally. Until finally, there's a revelation. Christ appears. Now, the timing in which he appears is, 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 is critical. I'm convinced that they are exhausted by the time he appears. He knows the exact moment to show up at the right time, and so he does. His timing is always perfect. You and I get in a hurry... We're an instant culture and an instant society. And most of us in here who are senior adults remember when we had to wait. But we've gotten so used to our culture today that even those of us who are senior adults have gotten accustomed not to having, having to wait for anything. And yet they were having to wait. And Christ's timing is impeccable. He shows up at just the right time of emotional and mental and physical exhaustion. And notice now the tactic that he uses in order to rescue them. He shows up walking on water. I mean, what kind of strategy is that? As I thought about that, I thought, you know, when did Christ begin to walk on the water? Did he fly like Superman until he got to a certain point and then started walking on water? He certainly could have done that. Or did he just, as he descended the mountain, came to the shore and just started walking on out? We don't know how long they, how far they were from the shore, maybe two and a half miles, maybe three, I don't know, toward their destination. But Jesus walked pretty substantial distance to be able to, to reach the place where they finally saw him. And they finally see him. And you see there that they see him. But what is the reaction to, to the presence of Christ? Notice it says, but when they saw him, what happened? They were terrified. And they said, it must be a ghost. And they cried out in fear. They were terrified. They concluded wrongly that it was someone from another dimension, someone from the afterlife. It is a ghost. And based upon their emotional state and their physical exhaustion and their you know, I'm sure wind was beating in their face and, and rain and all of that. They just concluded falsely that it was a ghost. Let, let me just say this side thing here. Not all perceptions are reality. Can I say that again? Not all your perceptions are reality. Or there are many of us sometimes who conclude that Jesus isn't present when the whole time he's in our midst. And so we see here that they are terrified. They have this twisted sort of understanding that it's not Christ, it is a ghost. They are troubled, they are paralyzed by their fear. They're paralyzed by their fear. And then notice what happens. But then, disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said it is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. What's the response of the Son of God? 
I mean, you take a look at the text. He's concerned about them. How do you know he's concerned? Because he's known all along what they've been going through. As they recognize this figure they've concluded as a ghost, he immediately, he doesn't delay. We have a game we play around here in this large facility here. When we hear people coming through the hall, we hide, and as they come out, you go, boo! Yeah. I, I warn you, if you do that to David Harper, you better step back, because he swings when you do that. All right? Angela just cries. I'm just kidding. Uh, little Maria, who is our, our custodian lady who cleans this part of the facility, she just always laughs. And so we kind of have this game. And so, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, it, would be, it would be hard if, if he were, Jesus were a part of Emmanuel not to, you know, they think I'm a ghost, walk up and go, boo, you know, just scare the heebie-jeebies out of them, you know. Uh, but he doesn't do that here. He's, he's, he's concerned. And he immediately has this calm demeanor. He speaks to them with authority, but he speaks clearly. And it's a calming, soothing effect on this emotion called fear that's paralyzing their faith. And he says, be courageous. Don't be afraid. Have courage. Don't worry about the elements. I've sent you out here, I am here, and everything's going to be okay. He says, it is I, I am here, and where I am, you not only have my power, my protection, you also have my provision. He's saying, stand on your faith, stand on courage, stand up to the elements, stand up to the trial, stand up to the tribulation, stand up to the circumstances, don't let circumstances Determine your faith. Don't let situations in your life and, and what I'm calling you to do predetermine how you're going to react and respond of whether or not it is achievable or accomplished or not. Trust me, for where I am, all things are possible. Which he then says to them, I want you now to step out in faith. Stand on your faith, but step out in faith. Where do you get that? Notice what happens to Simon Peter. I love this story here. And Peter answered him. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. If it is you, command me to come. Come to you where? On the water. Don't miss that. Command me to come to you on the water. Notice the request. This guy is not only brave, but he's bold. He believes that it's Jesus. He is the first to connect the dots. And he's always the first one to open his mouth and, and step out in faith. Now, sometimes he opens his mouth and inserts his foot. But this time he gets it right. He remembers Matthew 8. He remembers Jesus being asleep down there. He knows and remembers the power of Christ. And he recognizes it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. And I'm convinced he's the only one at this point who even knows and recognizes that it's Christ. And he believes. He believes that, that he can defy the elements that are around him if he just puts his faith and his trust in Christ. Simon Peter is not being cocky here. He's not just a thrill seeker. That's not, not the intent of Simon Peter here because I'm convinced if there was a wrong motive in Simon Peter's heart, Jesus would have never told him to come out. And he knows the motives of Simon Peter. And he knows that his motives are intentionally pure. He knows that he has the right heart. And he's saying, Jesus, I believe it's you. I believe it's you. 
And I believe that because you're doing it, if you command me to come, I believe if I am called to follow you and you call me to follow you, I can walk on water just like you. I believe I can do what you are doing if you call me to. I don't know where you are and what he's calling you to do, but you should never act or react in fear because if he is calling to Alaska, and you may not understand how God is going to work all that out, you step out by faith, trusting in him, and let him worry about the details. And that's what he's saying. Hey, I'll follow you, and I'll leave the details up to you. Notice the reply, one word. It doesn't give me a long explanation how he's going to defy you know, gravity or, or how he's going to overcome the principles of, 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 of all the, the elements that are taking place. Come. Come on. And the command is his commission. He commands him to step out and to walk on water, and that command was his commission. He didn't need any explanation. There's no debate. There's no discussion here. All he heard was Christ saying, come, and he did, and notice the results. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. As he stepped out on that boat, he discovered something that very few people discover. Think about it. There were 11 disciples on the boat who didn't get out of the boat. And that's true of many who stay in the shallow. There are always more that stay in the boat than those who take this, the, their, their faith to a level in stepping out of the boat and choosing to follow the commands of Christ and the commission that he gave us to follow him. And I think that's one of the main things that keeps most of us from doing that is because nobody else is doing it, so I'm going to stay here in the boat with everybody else and be safe. And so he steps out, leaves the other guys behind. And can you imagine what it was like when, you know, if I were to step out right here and then just kind of stay, you know, not go, what would you think? After you picked yourself up uh, from the floor, you'd get on the phone and say, our pastor can walk on air. You need to come to church next Sunday. We'd have a full house, you know. But I'm not sure that's Christ's possession. It might be some other possession. But, uh, I mean, can you imagine the emotion that he must have? And, and keep in mind, though, the waves and the wind are still beating up against the boat. And he acted like a bobble. He was, you know, because the waves are still going, the wind's still beating, so he's staying afloat. You know? And he's going, this is cool. And then he starts to make his move toward Christ. And notice as he makes his move toward Christ, he becomes distracted. By what? By the winds that keep beating up against him, the waves and all that. And he's, he's, he's going against the natural elements that are trying to discourage his faith. And the enemy is working against him. And he's making the right moves and he's walking on water until all of a sudden he begins to doubt. I'm walking on water. And the elements are beating up against me. And then that doubt led to a drift in his faith and he began to, to drift in his mind and his heart and his emotions and his will to do the will of God. And as a result of that, we see that he began to drown and he then made the decision because of that to do what? To do what any of us in this room would do. Lord, save me. That's all he prayed. Sometimes that's all you need to pray. Lord, save me. And that, that, that's the result. But notice then the reaction and the reach of Jesus. 
I mean, here Simon Peter is, has had enough faith to get to that far. It kind of sounds like the builder who tried to build and didn't make it. Sound like the guy, the king who wanted to go to battle and didn't count his troops. Remember, you know, he didn't quite make it. And he begins to drought and notice the reach of Jesus. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. How long did it take for Jesus to answer his prayer? How long? What's the speed? Immediately. Immediately. He didn't wait. He immediately, he stretched out his hand. He reached down to where Simon Peter was. You know, you're never beyond his reach. I don't care how low you may think you have sunk or how someone you may know have sunk to the pits. You're never beyond the outstretched arms of Jesus. And he reaches down and he grabs a hold of his hand and with the strength of a savior, he pulls him up. Sounds like salvation, doesn't it? And he pulls him up. A man who can't and doesn't have the strength in himself pulled him up to where Jesus was. And man, they were standing there together. Just, you know, just stood there. I don't know how long. The waves are still beating and the wind's still coming. And arm in arm, hand in hand, he's feeling secure now. He's not afraid he's going to die. Jesus has got a hold of him. You know, that's a beautiful lesson about eternal security. That once you're saved, you're always secure. Why? Because his strength is more than sufficient to keep your soul in his hands. And they had a little conversation there between Simon Peter and Jesus. This isn't with the other guys in the boat. They're out there. And Jesus turns to him and he says, oh, you have a little faith? Why did you doubt? See what we can do together? He's saying to the guy, he said, hey, you have deficient faith. He didn't say you have no faith. He said you had enough faith to step out of the boat. You had enough faith to start walking here. But after the elements and all the trials and troubles and tribulations and the winds and all that, you began to get distracted. And that distraction led to, to doubting. That doubting began, you began to drift. And as you drifted, you began to sink. He says here, hey, you had faith more than the other 11 disciples. They're still in a boat. But you didn't have enough faith. And they walk back to the boat. Notice then the final step is to stay focused. And when they got to the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. They walk shoulder and shoulder. Now before you miss this, the wind has not ceased. The waves have not stopped. Okay? And Jesus and Simon Peter, they're together and they're walking back to the boat. And the winds are still going and the waves are still going. What's that say to me? Not only am I in the center of the will of God and there are going to be trials and troubles and tribulations and testings, but even when I've got securely fastened the arm of Jesus and I cry for his help, he may not always release me from my circumstances. He may not always re remove my, my situation. He may not always make the waters clear. You know, we, we were uh, walking in my neighborhood uh, one night this week, and uh, we have some of those ponds that were created because we live in a, a flat land here, and so we dig holes to build houses up so we can build on flat land so when waters come, we don't all drown, right? I have one of those homes. They took a pasture and they made a community out of it, but they had to get dirt from somewhere. And so now we have these little man-made lakes, and the wind is hardly ever not blowing here in Wichita. And we were walking by that, and 
we saw a little pond there where it's, it's, it's hardly ever without some sort of ripple. But on this evening, it was like glass. And we like to walk, you know, close to sunset. And you could see the reflection and all that off that little just, I mean, it looked like glass. It looked like you walked. This is not what Jesus and Simon Peter are walking on. It's not like glass. It's still doing this. And they're walking. What that says to me is, even sometimes arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, toe to toe with Jesus by your side, you still may walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You still may go through trouble. You will still have trials. But the, the good thing is you're not on your own. You're not on your own. You're not in your own power. You're not subject to your own provisions because you have the presence of Jesus Christ. But notice then, as soon as they get into the boat, what happens? The winds stop. The waves stop. And when all that takes place, if you take a look at the text, what happens after that? They start worshiping. And what, it, what are the words that they're communicating here? The divinity of Christ is finally revealed to the disciples one more time. This Messiah, this Jesus is, in fact, none other than the Son of God. And they worship him in that boat. So there's the story. So let's put the four points together real quickly on our next slide. If we're going to go with him, we need to start right, stand up, step out, stay focused. Stay focused on Jesus. Stay focused on him. Elevate him to the rightful place that is rightfully his as the son of God and rely on his provisions, rely on his power, rely on his resources, rely on his leading, rely on his presence because I don't care where you are, if you are following him, he's with you. Stay focused. Keep your eyes on Jesus. So as we close, here's the final question. Will I let fear paralyze me, or will I step out on faith starting today? I can't make that decision for you, only you can make it for yourself. Your spouse can't make it for you, your parents can't make it for you. No one can, only you. As you hear the voice of Jesus, hey, come. There are greater depths to my blessing. There are greater depths to my graces in your life. There's more than what you are currently experiencing in your spiritual development. You need to get out of that boat and come to me. Come on. Stand up in your faith. Trust me. I'm calling you. I'm inviting you. And we, like Simon Peter, even if the other 11 stay in the boat, we're going to step out and we're going to move at his command. And we're going to trust. Doesn't mean he's going to remove all the obstacles and get rid of all the elements. And, and, and things may not be hard. They may be harder if you go with Jesus than where you are in your little comfort zone. I'm going to warn you. But it's worth everything if we'll just step out. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Emmanuel is located at 1415 South Topeka in Wichita, Kansas, and is easily accessible from all parts of the city and surrounding areas. Each Sunday morning, Emmanuel offers two worship services. The 
First service begins at 10 a.m. and offers a contemporary worship service and a casual and relaxed setting. Our second worship service begins at 11 a.m. and is led by the Emmanuel Choir and Orchestra. Both services are centered around strong biblical teaching where the Bible is presented in a clear and relevant way. Life groups for adults and children of all ages are offered at 9.45 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.ibcwichita.com. That's www.ibcwichita.com. Please be seated. We're going to have baptism at this time. These are two good buddies of mine here stand up so they can see you. Some of us are not as tall as others. This is Jeremiah Slittenhart and his older brother Joshua Slittenhart. And they come today professing their faith in Jesus Christ by following in baptism. If you're a member of their family and here to support them this morning, would you mind standing up? Let's give them a hand. Now, if... If you have had one of these young men in a Sunday school class or a vacation Bible school class or a Sunday night choir, or if you've helped in their discipleship process at all, would you, help, would you stand? accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. It's because of that profession that it's my privilege to get to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Joshua, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. It's because of that profession of your faith. It's my privilege to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. 